Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors, and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Eliza Rosenberry, and on this week's episode, we're talking about a rom-com. So I have two rom-coms to recommend. One of them is called The Hating Game by Sally Thorne, which I think is a really popular rom-com. It came out a couple of years ago, and it's just totally delightful. And the other one is newer. It's called Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall, and it's about a fake romance that turns real. I love the tropes in in these romance novels. I think rom-coms have the best titles. I just love, like, Boyfriend Material. That's something we say all the time. And then The Hating Game. I mean, you... You know immediately what that is. I I just think titles are the best. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, and my recommendations for rom-coms, I have to like sort of do a throwback recommendation. So Meg Cabot, we actually had her on the show. She is just classic. She's like one of the originals, one of the greats. Um, I think she's fantastic. And Marion Keys, again, another one from about probably 15 years ago. Sorry to, you know, take us back, but if anybody has sort of read all the rom-coms that are out now, I highly recommend going back to Marion Keys. She is Irish, funny as all get out, and uh, there's always like a really good romance, and her female characters always really grow. I really always like that about her books. On today's show, a romantic comedy about one woman's attempt to make her life more exciting with the help of her sexy building super. Today, we're talking about the breakout rom-com hit, Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. I wish I had a sexy super in my apartment (laughs) building. (laughs) So before we jump into our abridged about the book, I just wanted to make a plea for reviews. We would love to have your review of our podcast. If you're listening and you enjoy us, please do drop a note wherever you listen to your podcast. Just post a review. Most of our reviews are on Apple, but you don't have to post there if that's not where you listen. And, you know, if you post a review, we will read it on the show. We will say your name on the show and your brilliant pearls of wisdom. So please do leave a review. We would appreciate it so, so much. I feel like we say this every episode, but it really, the reviews really do help with the behind the scenes of, you know, helping people discover what the podcast is and that the podcast exists. And we're so grateful for all of our listeners and would really appreciate it. And also, I really could use it for my self-esteem, so any positive (laughs) reviews, thank you very much. (laughs) And now we present to you, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, Abridged. After a near-death experience, cautious Chloe Brown decides to push her boundaries and makes a list of exciting adventures, sort of a bucket list, except she calls it her Get a Life list. It's all the things she's missed out on in recent years while she's been dealing with chronic pain. From a drunken night out, bar hopping, to going on a camping trip, to, yes, having some good old-fashioned meaningless sex. First on the list is getting her own apartment. Chloe's new building super, Red, is a total sweetheart. He's recovering from a traumatizing past relationship and trying to focus on his painting again, all while repairing various odds and ends around the apartment complex. Though their relationship starts off on the wrong foot, Chloe soon enlists Red to help her with some of the items on her Get a Life list, one by one. Get a Life Chloe Brown is a witty and hilarious rom-com that's been featured on the Today Show, NPR, and in the New York Times Book Review. What did you think of this book, Tavia? So first of all, rom-coms, two thumbs up. Yes, bring it. Talia Hibbert knows what she's doing. But 
going a little bit deeper, you know, I really appreciate the way the author dealt with disability in her book. Chloe wasn't patronized by the writer or by, you know, most of the characters also treated her with respect. And she really just presented as a whole person with a specific limitation that she addressed. Yeah, I totally agree. Chloe's chronic pain, she says in the book that she has fibromyalgia, you know, it was part of her character for sure, like something that sort of was continuous throughout the book. It wasn't just like a one-off thing, but it also didn't define her entirely, which, you know, I really appreciated. And it was also something that Red was like very respectful of in their relationship, which I thought was really touching and lovely. It was like a really lovely portrayal of like what a healthy, supportive relationship looks like. Agree. I also really love the diversity of the characters. I just thought it was so refreshing and... I think it's one of the things that this new generation of rom-com writers does really well is they're very focused on like inclusivity, diversity. They do it very, very well. Yeah, I totally agree. I really loved the romance at the center of this book. I felt like, you know, obviously it's a totally escapist, romantic read. To be honest, I found a lot of it like quite believable, like, you know, the baggage that they carry from past relationships and how that sort of manifests in like random, seemingly random ways. But like, as soon as you understand the history, you're like, oh my God, of course that would like trigger a weird response. Or of course that would make someone upset based on like what happened in their last relationship while still being like a totally delightful, you know, not not very heavy, not bogged down in the details kind of read, which I loved. And, you know, I've read it in basically one sitting. It was such a, like, sweet, delightful, fun read. I, you know, can't say enough good things about this. The book just made me so happy. Right? Absolutely. Especially the end. Like, there was a little afterward and, like, the characters, kind of, you see them a few months into the future. Speaking of characters, Chloe's grandmother is my favorite character. She is such a firecracker. She delivers all of this sage advice. She's completely random and eccentric. And she, like, knows her granddaughters, like, the back of her hand. And I think, you know, everybody wants to have someone in their life like that, whether it's a grandmother or an aunt, but definitely not your mom. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of characters, I'm happy to say that I loved both of Chloe's sisters. Chloe's the oldest of three sisters in the book. She has two younger sisters, Danny and Eve, and they both have so much going on, so many great character quirks, so many great areas of interest, um, and there's just so much there. I completely agree. And good news, everyone. It's the first in a trilogy, air quotes, and the other two books each are dedicated to one of the sisters. So I'm definitely going to ask Talia about those two books later in the show. I'm so excited to read those two. Well, cheers, Tavia, to um, a fantastic rom-com read this time around. Cheers, Eliza, with my coffee cup, because we're yeah. taping earlier than usual this episode. Cheers. I know. Cheers. Quick reminder, we love hearing from you, especially now that we're working from home. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to authors who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the audiobook of Talia's newest, the third in the Brown sister series, Act Your Age, Eve Brown. Today, we're joined by Talia Hibbert, whose book, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, is out now. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, Talia. We are so glad you're here. 
Well, thank you for having me. So we take questions from our Book Club Girl Facebook group, and one of our members had a great question to start off the conversation. Katie wants to know, what was your original inspiration for Chloe Brown? I think the book started with just this idea that chronic illness and disability are often quite serious topics, but actually there are a lot of aspects of living with them that are quite funny. Um, and I thought it might be interesting to write a romantic comedy about a character who is dealing with those things. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that was one of the things that we seized on as one of our favorite aspects of the book that you included someone who had, I think she refers to it herself as a disability in the book. Yeah, and that's Chloe. And I loved Chloe's character so much. She was so sweet and funny. And um, I love that she was so tough on the outside and just such a great character with so many quirks. So my question is about Chloe. Chloe is a list maker. And it's a defining characteristic of hers and kicks off the entire premise of the book. How did you come up with that quirk? And are you a list maker yourself? You know, when I was kind of building Chloe's character, I knew that maybe she didn't always feel as in control of things as she would like to because her body sometimes doesn't do the things she wants it to do. And so I was thinking of ways that maybe she would try to mitigate that and feel like she had more control. And list making seemed like a great choice and a fun device. I feel like it's kind of a classic rom-com thing. <laughs> but yeah, I think I am a bit of a list maker myself, um, probably for the same reasons. And also because, you know, when things get a bit overwhelming, I could be alone in this, but I feel like it's much easier to handle when you've written it down because you can see it and you're like, oh, that's not so bad at all. <laughs> Totally. I, I can totally agree to that. Yeah, I also loved about Chloe's list making that she has all these super cute pens and notebooks. I was like, oh, I want to get back into stationery like after reading this book. <laughs> that was one of my favorite scenes when Red takes her pen that had like golden sparkles and he like examines it like it's this <laughs> wondrous, strange thing. <laughs> <laughs> And then he very sweetly went on to write a list for her. I just love that. So this next question, it's up to you if you want to skip it. You kind of answered it in the beginning, but I really loved the way that you portrayed Chloe's chronic pain with compassion, dignity, and respect. Why did you choose fibromyalgia as her disability? Well, on the one hand, it was kind of a lazy choice because I have fibromyalgia, so I didn't need to do as much research. I could just go for it. <laughs> but then, you know, at the same time, when you do experience something, you're always looking to see reflections of yourself in media. And I hadn't come across that particular reflection in my own reading, you know, because I only read romance. So I'm always looking for disabled characters in romance and always wanting to see more of it. So I thought, well, I might as well join in and write one. <laughs> Well, I so appreciate you sharing that about your personal experience. I hadn't guessed that. And I just love that. And now I'm like imagining you in that onesie that Chloe had worn with the tail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear onesies. I'm too tall. They never fit right. <laughs> Talia, I wanted to ask you about the sort of point in her life where we meet Chloe. It seems like she's been you know, and Red points this out. So I don't know if Chloe would sort of describe it this way herself, but it seems like she's been sort of lonely for a long time, dealing with her chronic pain and sort of 
you know, aside from her incredibly supportive immediate family who are wonderful, and we'll talk about them a little bit more later, she doesn't have much of a social circle, she's not dating, she's very resistant to letting people into her life. And you captured that sort of moment so perfectly, and it was so moving to watch her sort of open up a little bit. You know, what made you sort of want to show her at this point in her life, sort of at this lone, I don't know if you would describe it as loneliness or what, but it was just so moving. I feel like a lot of people, when they struggle with their health or they become disabled, experience the same thing of, you know, a lot of the people who had been in their life before kind of tapping out for whatever reason. And it's a really isolating feeling. And then on top of that, you know, if you have something that means you physically can't go out as much, we've all learned the hard way, I think, in this past year, how difficult it is to feel close to people when you can't go to the places that other people go to. So I feel like it's something maybe a lot of people are experiencing, either because they are unwell, they are disabled, or even for other reasons, you know, a lot of us find it difficult to make friends, I think, because unless you have a job where you're in an environment where you can meet people and make friends, how else does an adult make friends? So I thought it was something that I kind of wanted to show and kind of explore how you might overcome that. You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Talia Hibbert, whose book, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, is out now. You can read more about this book and Talia's other books at bookclubgirl.com slash podcast. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Talia answers more questions. And later in the show, we ask about her literary white whale. So stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by First Comes Like by award-winning author Alicia Rye, a story about finding love in all the wrong in boxes. A brand new romantic comedy featuring a beauty influencer and a Bollywood film star, First Comes Like is on sale now. Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Talia Hibbert, author of Get a Life, Chloe Brown. I don't think we have a question about this, but I loved Talia's sort of setup with Annie and how she ends up calling her. That was so lovely. And I recently moved to a new city, and I don't know anyone here. And obviously, during the pandemic, it's like impossible to meet anybody anyway. But it has gone through my head like almost every week, like, how does an adult meet a person to like have coffee to like go to the movies with like is it's so foreign to me so I loved the meet cute of their friendship also in the book that was so sweet okay so this is a more general question obviously rom-coms have been having this sort of cultural moment in both you know book form as well as movies and tv shows what do you attribute that to and what draws you to the genre I have always loved romance and so as an extension I've always loved rom-coms and you know especially on film if there was going to be something romantic on the tv or at the cinema it would typically be a rom-com because I think maybe they're more accessible and lend themselves better to script beats whereas classic romances have a lot more internal monologue that's maybe better in a book but yeah I've always loved it and it's been such a joy to see other people kind of hopping on the train in huge swathes. So I'm very pleased about that. I think, you know, even before the pandemic, it seemed like things were just relentlessly terrible. And I feel like the upswing in rom-coms is 
a direct result. You know, people are searching for something to make them smile and something to reassure them and to distract them from all the rubbish stuff. I agree. And I I also feel like this new generation of rom-com writers is so focused on inclusivity and diversity in their stories that I think it really speaks to the sort of new generation of romance readers who might not pick up, you know, a Regency romance, but this is like their gateway drug to the genre. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think actually that kind of generations are maybe involved in this as well, because obviously a lot of the stigma surrounding romance is kind of rooted in misogyny. And I think as people become more and more conscious of things like that and more willing to kind of publicly spit in the face of things like that, they may be more open to reading romance or certain publications feel more comfortable promoting romance to their audiences and so on and so forth. So I think that's that's an element as well. Romance advocacy, we're all about it. <laughs> So Red, speaking of this sort of, you know, roots of misogyny and romance, Red seems pretty evolved as a man. (laughs) He cooks for his mom. He's a painter. He's like treats Chloe with such respect and attention. Well, apart from his trauma after his gaslighting ex-girlfriend, like that's his like Achilles heel. But putting that aside, what's your favorite thing about Red? Oh, my gosh. I I really love him, obviously. I made him to be great, so. <laughs> I would say that my favorite thing about Red is that he's always trying to make people comfortable. Like, he wants people to be happy. And it's just because he's a good person. Like, he gets nothing else out of it. He just really doesn't want to be a dick. And I, I love that for him. <laughs> I said to Eliza when we were discussing the book that one of the sweetest moments of the book was when Red realizes when, you know, because Chloe keeps asking him, like, what do you want? What do you want? And he realizes that what he wants is just to make her happy. And it was so in line with his character, but it also felt like a revelation. And I just, I just love that moment. Like, everybody wants someone like that in their life. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, Red is just the most wonderful character. I have a follow-up question about him. We know from the beginning of the book that he has a working class background and that he understands Chloe to be more posh. Why did you choose to incorporate class difference into their relationship? I knew from the start that I wanted Chloe and her family to be from a certain background, just because I've always found it really interesting the way that race and class intersect in the UK, and it's something that I like to write about. So once I knew that her family was gonna be more well off, I thought that it might be interesting to have someone who was quite different in her life, um, especially because, again, I'm very interested in how class works. And I definitely grew up in a working class situation. But when I'm reading, a lot of that is kind of maybe erased. So I liked writing about that as well. It was important for me to write about the kind of people and families and, and lifestyle that I had growing up. So we know that there are two more books in this series, or is it a trilogy? Would you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, so each book in the series follows one of the Brown sisters, um, and Chloe is the oldest. And then the second book 
is Take a Hint, Danny Brown, and Danny is the middle sister. She is studying for her PhD and working at a university, and she ends up faking a relationship with her friend, a security guard from work. Um, but the problem is that he's actually kind of a hopeless romantic, and he has an enormous crush on her, and she is the opposite of a hopeless romantic, and has been ignoring her enormous crush on him, so it all gets a bit complicated. Um, and then the last book, Act Your Age, Eve Brown, is about the youngest sister, Eve, and it's coming out in March. And Eve is kind of the spoiled sister, but she also has a lot of trouble finding her own path and standing up for herself. So at the start of the story, she's kind of run off from home and she's determined to get a job at this bed and breakfast in the countryside. But she completely bombs the interview and... The guy who owns the bed and breakfast kind of hates her. He's super uptight and like her complete opposite. So she fails, but then she accidentally hits him with her car and he breaks his arm. <laughs> he has no one else to help him with the bed and breakfast. So he kind of has to hire her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, things go downhill from there. <laughs> oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I love it. I love that. What is that trip called? Hate to love or? Yeah, or enemies to lovers. Enemies to lovers. Oh my God. I love that trope in romance. <laughs> <laughs> so we have one more question for you, Talia. We ask every author who comes on the show, what is your literary white whale? So what's a book that you've always meant to read or have started reading and just have never actually gotten around to? Pretty much all of them. Because I mean... <laughs> I studied English at uni and all the books on the syllabus were books that I was not interested in and I avoided reading them as much as possible and just looked up the notes online. I hope no one important hears this because they might take my degree away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I could literally say it would be easier for me to name the books that I've meant to read that I have read. <laughs> um, but one thing that's coming to mind is great expectations. I've always thought, oh, that sounds great, but obviously not great enough for me to read it because here I am. I don't think I've ever read Charles Dickens. Tavia, have you? So I read Great Expectations. This is the first white whale I think that I've ever read. <laughs> and I read it, I think, in high school. And I, the thing that got me to read it was that the teacher, you know, it's a serialized novel, right? It was written like for a newspaper, you were meant to read it in installments. And so that's how she had us read it. She would assign like one bit each night and it took us a while to read it. But it was to me that the way she built the suspense for us was really fantastic. So maybe read it like one bit a day if you really want to read it. But I enjoyed the story. It's really good for kids because of Pip. The character is like a little boy and then he grows up and or you could just idea. watch the movie with Gwyneth Paltrow. I like Gwyneth Paltrow, so I'll probably do that. <laughs> I love the idea of reading serialized fiction, like in the newspaper. It's like so... Quaint. So quaint. <laughs> I would love that. Talia, thank you so, so much. We loved this book so much, and we're so grateful for it and for your time. And we can't wait to read Danny and Eve's stories also. Thank you for joining us. I so enjoyed this conversation, Talia. Thank you so much. This is really lovely. Thank you. I had a great time. So thank you both, really. That was Talia Hibbert, whose book, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, is out now. To find more about Talia's three novels in the Brown Sisters series and how to buy them, 
head to bookclubgirl.com where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast, tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You will hear from us again in two weeks. As usual, we'll be speaking with Peter Swanson, author of Eight Perfect Murders. Please stay in touch with us between episodes. We're both on Instagram. Find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading. And of course, at Book Club Girl. You can join in our next conversation. We'll be speaking with Julia Claiborne Johnson, author of Better Luck Next Time, which was a Barnes Noble Book Club pick earlier this year. If you have any questions for Julia, you can email us at thegirls at bookclubgirl.com, post in the comments on our Facebook group, or leave us a voicemail. Our number is 212-207-7336. Before we go, a big thank you to Charles de Montebello, who produced today's episode, to Jess Lyons for introducing us to Talia, and to Talia Hibbert for setting up a recording studio in her home. Although, I must admit, I'm a little bit jealous because she's in the UK. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm Tavia. Happy reading. Eve Brown didn't keep a diary. She kept a journal. There was a difference. Diaries were horribly organized and awfully prescriptive. They involved dates and plans and regular entries and the suffocating weight of commitment. Journals, on the other hand, were deliciously wild and lawless things. One could abandon a journal for weeks, then crack it open one Saturday evening under the influence of wine and marshmallows without an ounce of guilt. A woman might journal about last night's dream or her growing anxieties around the lack of direction in her life or her resentment toward the author of a thrilling AO3 fanfic, Tasting Captain America, who hadn't uploaded a new chapter since the great titty-fucking cliffhanger of December 2017, for example. In short, journaling was, by its very nature, impossible to fail at. Eve had many journals. She rather liked them. So what better way to spend a lovely, lazy Sunday morning in August than journaling about the stunning rise and decisive fall of her latest career. She sat up with a stretch, clambered off her queen-sized bed, and drew back the velvet curtains covering her floor-to-ceiling windows. As bright summer light flooded the room, Eve tossed aside her silk headscarf, kicked off the shea butter foot mask socks she'd slept in, and grabbed her journal from her bedside table, leafing through gold-edged pages. Settling back into bed, she began. Good morning, darling. The journal, of course, was darling. It's been eight days since Cecilia's wedding. I'm sorry I didn't write sooner, but you are an inanimate object, so it doesn't really matter. I regret to report that things didn't go 100% to plan. There was a bit of a fuss about Cecilia's corset being eggshell instead of ivory, but I resolved that issue by encouraging her to take a Xanax from Gigi. Then there was a slight palaver with the doves. They were supposed to be released over Cecilia and Gareth for the photographs, but I discovered just before the ceremony that their handler, that is to say the doves' handler, not Cece and Gareth's, I was their handler, to be frank, hadn't fed them for two days, so they wouldn't shit all over the guests. But really, when one wishes to work with the wonders of the animal kingdom, one must respect their ways and resign oneself to the odd sprinkle of shit. 
one certainly must not starve the poor creatures to avoid said sprinkle of shit. Any sensible person knows this. So I may have lost my temper and released them all. The doves, I mean. Clearly, they were born to be free, hence the wings, etc. Unfortunately, the handler demanded I pay for them, which I suppose was fair enough. It turns out doves are very expensive, so I have had to request an advance on my monthly payment from the trust fund. Hopefully, mother won't notice. <laughs>